0: In recent years, there has been a great deal of academic discourse, media commentary and public debate on issues that drive young Muslims towards radicalization. However, much less is known about young Muslims moving to the opposite direction, of leaving Islam. I first learned about the ex-Muslim movement when I was going through my own experiences of questioning religion. Religion was something that I had grown up with and spent my whole life practicing, but never really reflected upon or thought about. While my position on faith is something I am still negotiating, my experiences of meeting and speaking to ex-Muslims have motivated me to highlight their unique position. It is not unusual for many Australians to be open about their atheism. In the 2016 census, 30% Australians describe themselves as having no religion. But it is quite different for people coming from Islamic backgrounds it is difficult to obtain statistics on the ex-Muslim community due to fear and stigmatization attached to apostasy. Zara Kay, a young ex-Muslim activist and founder of Faithless Hijabi, an online ex-Muslim community, agreed to speak to me about her reasons for leaving Islam and issues faced particularly by ex-Muslim women who share their stories through the Faithless Hijabi community.
1: Incident that triggered me leaving was as a progressive liberal Muslim, mm-hmm. I posted um, I posted up an article on why we should support the rights of gay people to get married. Yeah. Only because somebody from my community who lived in Canada, like his family, had moved to Canada, but it was a wider community had gotten married to a man. Yeah. Um, and that sparked a lot of gossip and controversy, and nobody wanted to make it public or talk about it. Everybody was just shaming them, um, being horrible to them. And when I spoke about it, saying, no, we should still love people, and being gay is normal, and it doesn't matter whether it's natural, like whether it's nature or nurture. It's not your decision to hate people or judge people. Yeah. But that came at a lot of people just Um, dehumanizing me for my views and asking me to leave the religion or getting me to change my opinions to be a more hateful uh, person towards gay people and I started researching a lot more on the Quran and what has historically been said about gay people and a lot of science on homosexuality and I realized that I couldn't find a word a verse that said um, it's okay to disagree with people on religion and still go your way, like we should still make peace with people who disagree with you on religion. And that had shocked me. And for two, three weeks, I was just crying because it just felt like reading the book itself did not give me the peace I was looking for. And I, I didn't have a religious ground to stand on when arguing for equality and love but rather it was more of my progressive um, humanistic values that enabled me to um, be a person who didn't have to hate other people. So that was a bit shattering, but then the first people I told about me being um, an ex-Muslim was my family. I told them I did not believe in God. and. That was because there was no evidence and if there was evidence Islam is not the religion I wanted to be a part of. Mm. I didn't pick its values. I did not like the way people treated gay people and at first they thought it was a phase and that I was being influenced by my white friends yeah. and that I wasn't actually talking to a sheikh or. Um, I should speak to an imam or I should speak to the ayatollah because I come from a Shia background yeah. but at the point because I wasn't ready to actually talk about it to anyone I just didn't engage in any of those conversations mm-hmm. and the more I got to read about even the Sunni side um, to see if I'm missing something I was more um, I think I was more convinced that both of them stem from the same thing despite their um, fundamental beliefs on the caliphate mm. but it didn't, it didn't actually make a difference because from a very young age I didn't actually believe in the existence of God. Mm. I was just. It, it, it was just never a big part of my life but the moment I left it became a big part of my life because it was something so difficult to let go. Mm. It was a big identity crisis, even though I already had these progressive values. And I had friends who would actually do haram things, but still call themselves Muslims. And only because I removed that title from me, I suddenly became um, a black sheep of the community.
0: While well, atheist organizations and meetup groups exist openly and are easy to find through social media, ex-Muslim communities often have to operate underground or secretly due to feelings of shame, fear, and stigmatization that Zara highlights. How, how do you think the case of Islam is maybe unique to other religions or how women are treated in other religions as well?
1: Well, not all religions actually have this whole blind faith thing not all religions the, the thing with islam and christianity or maybe just abrahamic religion in general but it's mostly christianity and islam is you're talking to people who don't live in this who don't live for this world you're taught to live for the after, the the world after yes so every other theft every other abuse you kind of take it in and you're like you know i'm going to get rewarded in the world after mm. so you're talking to people who will try um convincing you in any way about the world after and then In that way, you're blinded by that because the picture that you're looking for in the long term is to reward it, to be rewarded in the hereafter.
0: It is these reasons that motivated Zahra to become an activist and support other women in similar situations.
1: And that was, it just highlighted the toxic, of toxicity of the Muslim community on how they would treat people who left Islam. let alone the Middle East that actually has apostasy goals. Yeah. Um, and, well, that's when most of my activism started. And that was, it started from me finding out about people who were like me. Yeah. Uh, and that was around 2017, 2018, understanding the women. I wanted a more women-driven um, community because I studied engineering, like I studied IT and engineering and worked in the engineering field, so I was more connected to understanding people who would understand my position as a woman. And what I found out was there were so many women who were willing to talk to other women without actually being public about it. But their stories were more horrific than mine because I actually got to study. I actually wasn't discriminated using my gender. but my parents were also. My parents had also never fully read the Quran in translate in translation. Mm. So they were very adherent to um, the shame. Well, there was a bit of shame actually, a shame culture with women. But in terms of who can and cannot study, it was never about women not being able to study in my family. Yeah. But having to a lot of other girls raised from Salafi backgrounds and other Shia backgrounds. They had a more traumatic experience just even being in the religion. There were so many girls who were questioning and weren't allowed to question. Yeah. Um, or they were, sh- you know, they were shushed. Or um, many girls that I had met called themselves culturally Muslims, and but but they barely were practicing. They didn't know the term existed. Yeah. So, like I had a few people who approached me, and they're like look, I fully support gay rights, but I'm still a Muslim and I'm like, well, how much of your book have you read? Yeah. (laughs) Like, Um. just recently, in the past week, I had about four girls who came to me at a very aggressive pace and they're like, you can't talk about my religion, you're a disrespectful person. And that tone changed from aggression to compassion when I explained what I do, when I explained what my charity stands for. And there was just so much in alignment with our plight because regardless of our belief in God or the religion, we were both treated to that, we were both held to that same standard of modesty or we're both to that same standard of shame, the purity culture and a lot of emotional blackmail that comes with any form of dissent. Sujabi was born out of my curiosity to connect with other ex-Muslim women and it was only because I had never heard about stories um, from many ex-Muslim women Yeah. and I started posting it on Facebook and I started posting it on Reddit and a lot of girls did reach out and they're like hey look I had this experience and they were all so different from mine but there was so much that I could relate to right there were girls who grew up in the Middle East, there were girls who were physically assaulted, sexually assaulted. And I had never had to go through that, and there was so. But but we still bonded over so many expectations that we had. Um, And what I decided to do was to actually create a storytelling platform where voices of women who are not, you know, the voices of women who still represent Islam, even though we've left. Where we are a product of an archaic ideology, and that we should be talking about it. So I started creating a repository of stories. And what turned out to be was lot. we we got a lot of hate from Muslim women. We also got a lot of, hey, this happened to me, but I'm still a Muslim. And we had Muslim women joining us. And now we we don't only have a storytelling platform, but we've started in-depth exploration of topics such as sex and sexuality, or a relationship between a mother and a daughter, or a relationship between a father and a daughter and um, we started an online community of ex-muslim and muslim women Mm -hmm. who you know who support each other and um, you can see that community developing there are specific issues that only women from muslim backgrounds can relate and it could go from specific body shaming to us never talking about sex education to us never realizing that it is okay to let your hair down um, so there were specific topics that actually, um, it ties us all together coming from different backgrounds and now Faithless Hijabi has like fostered, has been fostered in like recreating different groups, underground groups in different regions, mm-hmm. um, hopefully in the future sponsor a few meetups in specific regions, but, um, as of recent, I am on the way to launch a mentorship program. Mm-hmm. So we find that women, Muslim women, or ex-Muslim women who come from honor-based abuse background are not allowed to work or study. And we want to pair them up with industry mentors who can keep them motivated or help them with their careers and get get them to be independent versus us relying on crowdfunding to help them. Mm -hmm. So we want to empower women with strategic tools to then fight for their own freedom, because we have a lot of minors that come to us as well, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people just have this basic fundamental um, questions on how do I start working? I'm, I'm not allowed to do a uni degree. Should I just do a course online? Mm-hmm. So very different aspects. I, I think in the future we've already started. We're we're translating stories as well and opening. Um, opening the platform up for people who don't speak English. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's where our future plans are and what we're doing at current. That's great. Um, well, and, um, yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty
0: much... When it comes to Islam and feminism, one thing that is often discussed and continues to be an issue in public debate is the hijab or head covering. This is also something that is often discussed in academic discourse around feminism and Islam, on one hand, prominent Muslim women and academics have argued that Islam is aligned with modern ideas of feminism and wearing the hijab is a choice that Muslim women make freely. Others argue that hijab, even if freely chosen, symbolizes submission to patriarchal standards of modesty and purity. I've heard a lot of um, ex-Muslim uh, conversations with, femi- with regards to feminism as, as kind of being choice feminism where um, if a woman says that she'd like to wear a hijab um, and that's her choice, um, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of sort of broken down as, as choice feminism. Do you think that that's the case? Do you think that women have the right to wear what they want to wear? And if hijab is that thing or burqas are that thing, then that should be okay? And
1: So I definitely think women should wear what they want to wear Mm. and that somebody Mm -hmm. wearing a hijab, I will respect that she has a choice to decide what she wants to wear but not necessarily that hijab was her choice, if that makes sense. Mm. So, to just break it down, what I mean is, like I said, we spoke about coercion into wearing it so I will respect that somebody wakes up every day to choose to wear what she wants to wear. But had she known about, had she never been introduced to hijab as a concept of modesty and one that is enforced by religion, how many women do you think would wear it?
0: Right Right now,
1: people wear it in solidarity with Muslim women because of the anti-Muslim bigotry, but not because they actually believe that they should cover themselves up. Right. Um, we We have a lot of women who have converted and choose to wear it. And I say this in quotation marks because had it not been Islam enforcing it or is part of Islam, they probably would have not worn it. I admit that in the one thing thats um, that I'm completely against is the entire modesty culture. Why do, and I'll bring it back to the point that why do women need to cover themselves to be respected? Why do women need to be modest? be respected why does modesty only lie on the hands of um uh, why does modesty only lie on one gender and not both and why do we need modesty in our society Mm. um and that just just modesty being a burden on the shoulders of a woman is the definition of gender inequality Yeah. You know, coming coming but, but knowing that Islam, like you know, we are taught to um you were taught that Islam is the right religion and the last religion, and the book has never been changed, and it is a religion of all times. A lot of that that sentence itself or that idea itself is what keeps us from progressing. That is what keeps us way behind as women from Muslim backgrounds to take steps further. But Having said that, I have met women who are Muslims and call themselves feminists and try bringing a revolution within the religion, but does the scripture support that? It doesn't. Mm. Does the scripture support that women should be equal in testimony? No, it doesn't. Um, Divorce is another issue as well. Um, Just the power that men have over women. Um, It's more ingrained yes in the culture but it comes from it's deeply rooted in the religion and how women are raised in the society Mm. so you know just islamic feminism or the choice feminism is one that has that has been unfair to women from Muslim backgrounds Mm. especially the western feminists who will completely will completely avoid women from cultural backgrounds where the sole reason being that they don't want to hurt the culture yeah. as though our rights have no value in the modern era.
0: Yeah, and I that's mean, what
1: intersectional feminism has done right by women from ethnic backgrounds because we're held to different standards versus equality for all. I still think that um, while in general I am against the word toxic masculinity because I feel like it is individual traits that are toxic i feel like islam has its own version that makes toxic masculinity a very viable um... attribute because we we go through very different standards of um... we go through very different standards of equality coming from the background that we're in so i feel like more people should be talking about toxic masculinity in islam because that is something that definitely exists. By definition, men are given more power over women.
0: Zara further talks about the ex-Muslim position in the current, current political landscape. She highlights that ex-Muslim subjectivities are either neglected or exploited by both left and right-wing political extremes. Yeah, um, I mean, that kind of answers my, my next question because I was going to ask you how the ex-Muslim identity for women is different from any other atheist from being an Atheist and how this ex-Muslim, um, so what, yeah. what is this,
1: what's the difference there? So you know the one thing that came out about the, the one thing that really brought Muslim, curious Muslim women, progressive Muslim women and ex-Muslim women together was that we understood, that like I said, despite our beliefs there's mm. so much work going through together. So with the ex-Muslim movement, while we know that leaving Islam is a it's a difficult process for everyone men women included um we find that ex-muslim women always have to come out louder and stronger to be heard we're, we're ignored by western media because they think our very existence is blasphemous mm-hmm. and they don't want to offend the muslim community and but we're also being taken advantage by the far right who want to prey on us and we have had to create our own sphere which is growing a lot more this year, actually, than it has in the past few years. But it's growing a lot more where people are coming out, defying all the political movements of the left and the right, making sure that they are being heard in their own voices. Yeah. And yeah. it's only now that the media is shining any light on us. Yeah. So I feel like what makes ex Muslim women are different from. Other atheist group is one the lived experiences of being a Muslim woman and then breaking those patriarchal boundaries outside the norm. A lot of times, it's not the Western feminists that fight for us. It is a it is feminism in us. It is the, the empowerment that we have to motivate within our community for, for the women to fight and come out stronger. Mm. There is a, a there's a lot of backlash because even if you, even if you were an ex-Muslim and you come out, so many times the critiques for women are, it's because you wanted to be a whore, it's because you wanted to sleep around, it's because you wanted to show your hair, you wanted to drink, but it always comes at sexualizing us every time. Like nobody has ever thought about the fact that maybe. They, you know, women left because they, they thought science was a better option. Mm-hmm. Um, recently we had a hashtag awesome without Allah, mm-hmm. and it was completely hijacked by Muslims to find it blasphemous versus helping us celebrate or celebrating that we're happy and we're fine and we don't believe. And it's okay if you do, it's fine if you do, but you've completely changed our narrative to be something that offends you versus something that we celebrate. These
0: complexities are what make the ex-Muslim community distinct from other atheist or secular groups. While it is no longer taboo to discuss Islamic fundamentalism in media and public debate, the mention of Islamic apostasy is treated with caution, controversy and discomfort, especially when many Muslim countries follow strict apostasy laws. Amidst legal and social pressures of leaving Islam and lack of political support, How do young ex-Muslims navigate these experiences? To find out more or to share your own experiences, check out www.faithlesshijabi.org.
1: Black Coats was created by Hamid Siddiqui and Alex Ray The Black Coast team includes Hamid Siddiqui, Alex Ray, Marina Khan Yinghua Yu, Michael Horgan Tate McKnight and Drew Martin This episode was produced by Marina Khan and Alex Ray And the credits are being read by me James You can listen to my, br- blah, my Black Coats episode Episode 20 Devouring Food Science, James Lee Special thanks to Zara K from faithless hijabi make sure you check out faithless faithless hijabi on social media you can support live coast by donation through patreon by buying some of our merch or by reviewing or sharing this episode with a friend if you haven't already like and follow us on facebook twitter instagram and youtube